Welcome to Blockchain Versus, a podcast specifically intended to dive deep into the technology that we call blockchain and how it has the massive potential to disrupt a number of different industries and literally change the face of how we do business every single day. We're also going to be bringing on some of the most influential people in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space to talk about projects that they're working on and how this technology truly has the opportunity to disrupt the world as we know it. This is Blockchain Versus. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremy Bourne. Welcome to Blockchain Versus. I'm here joined today by Christina Bruhan and our special guest, Mr. Oz Sultan. Oz, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Oz, um, you know, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we know you on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've done some business together, et cetera. And we, we're just so excited to hear your take. You know, this is blockchain versus. So it's how is blockchain going to disrupt the world in a number of different ways and in industries, et cetera. So we'd love to get your take on, uh, you know, everything that's happening in the space now. Obviously, we see this turnaround with cryptocurrency prices, et cetera. Uh, so overall, just excited to have the conversation. Can you at least start off the conversation with talking about your background and what you've done in the space and, you know, talk about your vast experience in a number of different areas? Sure. Um, I mean, I've spent about, uh, I don't know, the better part of two decades in um, a variety of management consulting and entrepreneurial roles. I've had... Uh, a number of startups, um, two that I've exited, and uh, so I guess you know the the whole you know serial entrepreneur thing applies. Um, but primarily, um, in the past couple of years, I've been focused on big data and blockchain, and have done a lot of work advising funds as well as a number of startups. Uh, and recently, I was named as a senior fellow to the Council Exchange Board of Trade in the National Minority Technology Council. And you're probably like, what do all of those words mean? Um, (laughs) So what that means is I'm part of a small group of folks that's advising on the United States blockchain strategy um, and basically trying to help shape this stuff, you know, for where it's going to be into the the next decade. And what's kind of interesting about the the council exchange is that they were created by um, a presidential executive order um, and are are supported by about twenty. I want to say twenty seven, but I think it's twenty four different executive orders. Um, and their focus is to really kind of drive guidance until twenty forty eight. So the government's already looking at this. You know, the Chinese have their blockchain strategy, which is like about an inch thick, um, and I have to get translated. And, uh, you know, the Europeans are starting to look at this more seriously now. We've got the conversations with the Winklevosses trying to bring crypto ETFs to the table and European banks jumping in. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a real hotbed of an arena right now. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Cool. Um, so, you know, obviously you have experience in, in a vast number of areas and in, in different you know, spaces, right? I know you uh, have experience in telecommunications and politics. I mean, mm-hmm. like what are you seeing overall in the space and like what got you so excited to come into blockchain? You know, the, the biggest thing I recall was, I mean, it, this was probably four years ago. And what we tried to do was mount an oil back token. And the idea was to bring this out to the masses. And there's something similar that, you know, we're advising on now that's in stealth. Um, but one of the biggest 
issues that I guess we've had societally, and this is a twofold issue, is one, you've got banks and credit companies that have just been onerous to deal with for a long period of time. Like there was a meme, um, which I might send to you guys to include with this, which showed like a guy getting kicked in the crotch um, and the person kicking him was labeled bank. And then, <laughs> and then the shoe was labeled additional bank fee. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, if you, you, you think about what are the biggest problems plaguing America today, and it's not just the fact that we've got income disparity and income inequality, not just between genders, but I mean, it's largely between races and economic classes, and no one talks about that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm a district leader in Harlem, and I see it on a day to day basis. Uh, we've got 27% unemployment versus, you know, the national average of 2.4. And, you know, looking at it from the fact that if cryptocurrency has the ability, to do two things on the lower levels. One is to disintermediate all of these banks, all these credit systems, and you know the check cashing places, right? Um, and it's a new paradigm to bring people into, and it's also something where um, you can have, you know, uh, what are now called Generation Zers, um, bringing you know their abuelas, their grandmothers, their mothers into these systems. That's kind of exciting, and and what that allows for is a massive disruption of the type of fraud that we saw with Wells Fargo, where you know what was this like eighteen months ago? Um, their CEO knew knew that Wells Fargo folks were opening unauthorized credit lines in the names of their clients, devaluing their credit, and and doing just a bunch of nefarious things. You know, and mm -hmm. so the utility of the blockchain, I think. One is the ability to create new currencies. Two is the uh, ability for you to have the provisioning of your data um, and your identity, you know, uh, limited by what parameters you set. Um, but three is that it's a it's a new ecosystem in terms of economics. Um, there was a uh, an interview I did like about a year ago where I talked about something called Brockonomics because I pitched it to Brock Pierce and he's like, that sounds cool. Maybe we can, you know, do something about that. Um, but now I'm planning on writing it with Cindy Mallory and uh, what we're calling it is, is basically the new economic theory of tokenomics. And mm -hmm. to ex explain it like just very simply, the paradigms that we've lived in for probably the better part of the past 150 years have been, you know, beset upon by the understanding, okay, well, we moved away from having kings and czars um, and the Brits, right? By king, here's your tea. Um, uh, to this new era where on the one side we've got capitalism, on the opposite side you've got communism, and you have all these folks that – want to try these new paradigms themselves. Like everyone's talking about universal basic income. I mean, there was a, a convo on Facebook yesterday where, you know, a mm -hmm. couple of crypto folks were like, what do you guys think about UBI and how can you implement it? And I was like, well, it failed for Finland already. But when you think about this inside of a crypto algorithm and you look at things like PacCoin um, and some of the other tokens that have social tithing built into their... Right. No, I was just agreeing with you and mostly because like we know the guys over at PatCoin and it's funny that you bring exactly. that up as an example. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge champion of those dudes. Like and and the other thing the other thing is there's it's like we can be champions of the underdog here. But the the new ecosystem I see this evolving towards is a multi-chain system, a multi-chain world. 
And what that means is that you can have aspects of capitalism, right? We have the ability, you know, why are they saying data is the new oil? Well, with every new blockchain that you create, you now have this new data ecosystem that other data ecosystems can kind of link into. Um, and for those folks that are more Luddites and who are like, what is this blockchain stuff? Um, think about it as a <laughs> transaction ledger where whatever you did was locked inside of a block. And that block is put next to another block, which creates a chain. Um, and that information can reasonably not be screwed with. There's certain pieces of tech in the ecosystem like IBM's Hyperledger and Hyperledger Fabric and some of the open source ones that can be um, audited and modified later. Um, and those aren't true blockchain systems, but they're things that the companies are looking at. But this new weird paradigm we're in is where you could have capitalism off of all this big data and you can have social systems built into that in the sense of tithing or, you know, um, from like I'm, I'm Muslim. So from my perspective, giving zakat or like from a Christian perspective, um, you know, giving alms or something along those lines. Uh, but all of that can kind of be built into an ecosystem whereby the data is allowing for the creation of new revenue streams. But what you're also looking at is how this can be more beneficial for society at large. And I think that's the new economic theory we should be gravitating towards. I, I completely agree. And Oz, I, I'm slightly biased because like I know you and I know Cindy and I'm like, those are two very big brains coming together. So that's awesome. Um, it's awesome. Yay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, do have to say, I do have to say like one big piece that you kind of spoke about in that intro is this concept that peer to peer currency disrupts uh, the fee based banking industry as a whole. If you look at the industry, they made $40 billion last year on overdraft mm -hmm. fees alone. For the people that cannot afford it, the people who least need to be taxed on that kind of thing, and they are making a killing. You look at your 401k plan, there's an entire industry and you're getting, what, 4% return on your money? We need to be smarter about our money. We need to allow our grandmas to take their $25 a month and turn it into something that can supplement their social security. Well, the other thing, too, is that you know if they have the opportunity to put their money in a currency that operates more like a commodity, you're looking at what currencies were uh, and you know some of the the early bonds were um going back almost 100 years you know we used to we used to have war bonds people used to run around selling war bonds door to door um that's how we funded a lot of the stuff that we were doing um when new countries were created they got their own bonds you know israel had bonds pakistan had bonds um there were a couple of African countries that had bonds, not so valuable anymore, but a lot of that's, you know, questionable political decisions and the French. Um, so, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the thought process of, of where the opportunities are for not just like, I'd say grandmas and retirees and that sort of thing um, is a direction that, you know, you can't go into with traditional money and you can't necessarily go into unless that traditional money is encompassed inside of some sort of traditional investing. Um, but mm -hmm. here, it has to feel familiar. Exactly. But here, you know, you could have your grandmother buy some crypto um, and just sit on it. Uh, and as long as she's buying inside of the top five coins, 
you know, it's more than likely five years later, those things are worth more money. And at the same point in time, she can utilize that to pay, you know, almost every single bill she wants right now. And that's kind of the cool thing because QuickX, um, which is full disclosure company I advise as well as, um, you know, Arise and a number of companies that are out there. Arise has a cross-border payment system, which is really interesting. But QuickX has mm-hmm. the ability for you to, once their card is deployed, um, put crypto in a credit card. So you're spending crypto like cash. And and those right. types of jumps, I think, are what are necessary right now inside of the, the ecosystem to allow like average people to, to come on and start using it. I, I would agree. And I know Jeremy echoes the sentiment, which is, you know, it needs to be around the user experience. It has to be easy for people to lower that barrier to entry. Um, and I think that that's a, a much bigger landscape to try and dig through about, like, how can we bring, you know, crypto into the, you know, in, into commonplace in terms of mass mm-hmm. adoption. But I'm really interested to hear your thoughts around, like, why you feel so strongly that blockchain is the technology that's going to change the world. I mean, we've spoken a bunch about community consensus and being able to put that on the blockchain and be immutable, essentially. That is data that is revolutionary if we have that kind of insight into what people really want from a consensus standpoint. Well, think about it this way, okay? When you're talking about consensus to date, typically we talk about proof-of-work algorithms, so that's mining. Um, we talk about staking algorithms um, for, you know, a number of tokens. But just think about this, right? So, you know, beyond designated proof-of-stake, um, you have least proof-of-stake, you have proof of elapsed time, you have proof of weight, you have proof of sum, proof of capacity, proof of importance, proof of activity, um, as well as, you know, a, a number of, uh, I don't want, really want to touch on Byzantine fault tolerance and, and, and those types of things, but you've got additional paths to go down with this. And what we're saying is that things that previously were just part of a supply chain can now be identified, brought into a blockchain ecosystem. That data can create value and you can either tokenize or you can process, systemize whatever that is inside of a blockchain technology that makes it auditable into the future, well into the future. So, you know, the last century, right, so the, the 1900s, was called the first measured century. Why? Because for the first time, specifically in America, and then the Europeans followed us, and there's a book out there called The First Measured Century, we started collecting data and everything. We started collecting census information. You know, by the the 1930s, we knew that the average factory worker had an IQ of 77. We knew what average longevity was. We knew what factors influenced, you know, healthy living. We found out that, you know, oh my God, if you put too much super fatty food in MREs that you're giving to soldiers that you're putting into World War One, that's killing them as quick as the bullets are. Right. So, you know, we learned from a lot of these things. Right. And from data. Just from having access to that yeah. data. And now what we're walking into is a world where everything can have data, right? Absolutely everything. You could have a, a smart table in your house that, you know, is connected to Amazon. And it's one of the smart tables that has like a little refrigerator in it. And let's say that, you know, you like LaCroix and you're like, oh my God, you know, I'm out of cucumber flavored water. What am I going to do? And 
polarize our community on like LaCroix versus non-LaCroix. Like we're going to get memes about exactly. this, I guarantee. <laughs> um, and uh, personally, I think Waterloo is better than LaCroix, but you know, not everyone can get Waterloo. Um, but um, uh, total sidebar. Uh, but the, you know, the, the bougie water of all of blockchain. How about we do a blockchain versus bougie water? How about we do that? We'll get Fiji in there. We'll, we'll just that, get that, that was like when I was... <laughs> Know your origin, that please. was like when I was doing my my uh, my crypto water comedy. Um, oh, my god! I actually almost interrupted you when you were doing your like introduction, and I'm like, but he needs to mention his videography skills about his crypto water series. What it, what it, hold, on, hold on, I just need one moment. All right. That's the best okay. Part. So That's I don't I don't one. drink right, and and so you know when you go to crypto events around the world, I mean half the time they're like alcohol laden, but you know they took us to Napa, and um, I had um, and Mark Scarpa um, who is running Decentric TV had a whole film crew there, and um, I was with with a, a buddy of mine um, who's also a crypto, and we we're just a little bored, and I was like why don't we just do a halal water video? Because water is typically, the, the whole joke is that like, because this was back when they were selling like artisanal raw water and the raw, the raw water, right. which you don't know where this raw water came from is selling for like 80 bucks a gallon. So it was like a total joke. I'd be terrified of raw water. Cause I understand how microbes work, but yeah, that's I'm just kind me. Of the same page with <laughs> My you. One of your crypto waters, though, you had, um, like, you put, like, drops of water in the water, and you were like, it's now on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were putting liquid gold into the water, so we were using that. To, right. You know, we're using an old fungible to connect it to the blockchain. So, I mean, if you if you, if, if you are bored and you're looking for a little amusement, Google go to YouTube and search for Halal Crypto Water. And um, the first one has me and Crystal Rose from Sense Token and Dan from Cash Bet and Virtual Growth and like a bunch of people. It's just it's the whole series is just like like ridiculous comedy with with people from crypto. Sorry, I had to give a shout out to VG on that one because he's like the sorry I I love that dude. He's super like incognito, but he's so brilliant. Oh, well, you know, the funniest thing is we, we go to, we, if we're both at one place, we pretend that he's my dad. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Between the two of you, I'm not sure whose beard is more epic, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of epic, I, I have to call this out. So, Oz, when you got on here, I looked at the name. Uh, and it wasn't Oz Sultan, right? On the nope. recording, it says Guanto. That's correct. So, what's going on? Uh, all right. So, the, the, the you know, the, it's if you're black and you're white, that's kind of a known entity, right? And I'm the problem is, is that growing up in the '80s, no one had ever heard of the Middle East. The only thing they heard of was like there was, you know, the they heard of the Iran Contra scandal, and they know that there were some hostages taken, but like no one knew anything about that. And growing up in Pittsburgh. Um, the number of times that people would argue with, we didn't have Latinos either. Okay. So they had no idea what I was. So more often than not, the default, and this was just kind of a joke in my family. The default was that they would think we're native American. And then I'd have to argue with people about it. And so the number of times I've been called squanto is just, I can, so I was just like, I was like, screw it. This is kind of funny. Um, 
you know, whatevs. But, uh, you know, I have, I have been mistaken for any kind of melanin, melanin laden person on earth. Um, I used to get Sicilian, uh, I used to get, uh, Italian, um, I've got Inuit more than one time. Uh, I get every kind of Latin. Um, I've gotten Indian. I've gotten Arab, which is accurate because I'm half of each. Um, but then, you know, it, people come up to me and they're, they're like, why are you denying your heritage? And I'm like, well, we're in Puerto Rico and I'm not Spanish. <laughs> like, you know, know that's actually that's an interesting, like real world application of blockchain. Like that could solve a bunch of TSA's problems. <laughs> like if we could just get all, and, and I know you have a lot of opinions on this actually. Oh, I, I just opt in for the full pat down. It's just much, it's just much, <laughs> much, much, much yeah. not where I was going with no, no. I mean, it's just, here's the thing, like, cause you know that you're going to have to go through, through the, through the backscatter scanner anyways, and then they're going to pat you down anyways. So I just select myself. So I'm not sure if anyone knows this. If you, I'd like to self-identify, please. I self-identify as being pat. No, what you can do is you can opt out of, of that thing. And then what they have to do is they have to manually pat you down and it takes a little bit more time, but you know, it's kind of like concierge pat down. It's, it's really sort of the nicer pat down. I would agree. I had to travel with no driver's license for a while. I had to bring like my um, social security card, my expired passport, anything that I had that could be like, I am who I say I am and go there like two hours ahead of time because mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm the one that you guys are going to have to, I mean, you're literally volunteering. You're like, I know it's going to take way too long. You, you can also kind of look at, at folks and like when they, they give you kind of like a little bit of a look, I'm like, yep, we're opting out because I'm going to get pat down anyways. And this and, is, and this is where I realized like it's not even comparable because like how I look at someone, I have to go to like the front of the counter and be like, hi, can you please pat me down versus you're like, I know this is going to happen. Well, I just, sometimes I just want to yell at them and be like, how dare you? I'm an executive Muslim. <laughs> you know? Do you know who I am? <laughs> and people are like, what the, what the hell is an executive Muslim? <laughs> I'm the delegate. They sent me. <laughs> Here's my card. <laughs> oh, man. Well, travel is fun. And I know yeah. that. And I know that, you know, as Christina mentioned, kind of getting back to the conversation, you know, there's, there's so many different applications of blockchain and how it has the ability to disrupt different types of industries. And I know you've given a few use cases and these are really good things and, and really great examples. So, you know, kind of pivoting the conversation, which is, you know, it can impact a lot of industries, but which ones do you think it can really disrupt that you yourself, Os Sultan, are most passionate about? And what are you working on in reports with that? Sure. So sort of sort of full disclosure, um, uh, as a senior advisor to the Council Exchange Board of Trade and the National Minority Technology Council, which was created by um, presidential executive order and has been an ongoing process since President Bush through President Obama, now to President Trump, um, the, the first thing I'm looking at is, you know, the opportunity to reduce waste and loss. Uh, what does that mean? So, Last year alone, the United States government could not account for a trillion dollars worth of spend. They have no idea where it went. Um, secondarily, if you think about pork and fat, you know, which is what is always laden into many bills, um, that stuff doesn't go away. Uh, like in, in Pennsylvania, I believe it was in the 1930s, 
there was something called the Johnstown flood. And so what they did was they put in the Johnstown flood tax, which was supposed to be sunset after something like 40 years. Um, to my understanding, well, when I left, like up until, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, people were still paying the Johnstown flood tax. And I believe till today they're still paying it. So, the blockchain gives the ability of legislators as well to tie this into um, existing legislation and new legislation to basically say, if you want to put a sunset clause on something that requires a vote, the vote has to be made, um, otherwise it sunsets. Now, that's very useful in, in a number of these situations, not just from a financial perspective, but also a policy perspective, right? So let's say that we want to change our asylum program. Let's say that we want to augment um, what spend would be on transportation. Let's say that we have ideas of modifying the healthcare system to, you know, rewrite uh, the Affordable Care Act to work more effectively with Medicare and Medicaid so that we don't have defaulting state exchanges. All of that kind of stuff can be done and, and mediated through um, blockchain-based smart contracts. Um, but the decision as to like what the United States government does, I think, is going to be an ongoing process, and it's going to take us a couple of years to put that together. But as far as other industries go, um, there, again, a, a couple of, of companies that we're advising, MiFi, which is based in um, India, is looking to roll out healthcare to the unhealthed, I'm calling them. That's not a word. I just made it up. But when you have 90... You're, uh, okay, they're two hours or more away by donkey kind of uh, category. Is that correct? You, that's correct. If, well, the way I normally explain it is that let's say that your kid needs a specialist. You know, you're in one of the 90,000 villages in that country. You have to basically ride a donkey um, for about an hour or so to get to a train station which might be another hour or two to get you to a large city, right? Um, and this is this is a problem problem globally. So what they're aiming to do is to have half a billion people um, with healthcare records on the blockchain within ten years. Um, and this is a this is a big problem because like a couple of years ago when we were doing research on. ISIS and, the, and their utilization of, you know, uh, crypto to pay people, um, as well as like what was going on with some of their suicide bombers, we needed to get the health records from an entire city. And so I'm just telling you, in India and Pakistan, all of this stuff's in paper and it's kept in stacks in like right. a, in like a, a building behind where the hospital is. So right. you can literally go and pay someone you know, like a hundred bucks and they'll give you access to everything you want and just take a little portable scanner with you and scan all the health records. That's not safe. Right. So uh, I have, I have so many questions for you, but let me just kind of ask down a, down a rabbit hole here. So obviously medical records on the blockchain makes a lot of sense. I want to pivot back to what you said earlier in terms of legislation, and I apologize for putting you on the spot because you and I have, of all of our conversations, we've never talked about this. So mm -hmm. if you can't talk about some of it, I understand. But in terms of legislation being on the blockchain, would it be possible to reach a democratic consensus of saying the people, not the lobbyists and not the people who are writing the bills who owe favors to this, that, the other, but to segment out some bills and say, you know what, the people actually create a, a consensus channel to say, 
we want 80% of this bill, but we want to get rid of this extra weight, this 20% that was grandfathered in as special favors. Do you see a level of transparency of being able to reach that kind of no. functionality? I mean, no, that, you're, I, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to get there. And uh, but just, this is why we have so many conversations where Oz is like, Oh, Christina, that's so cute. No, no. And here's the real <laughs> At least world. He's well, the, the, the problem is, is that the budgets and, and this is not me being petulant and saying now, 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 you know, this is this is the budgets of specific departments aren't necessarily held in those departments. And the Office of Management and Budget, which oversees and dictates everything is under presidential purview. And a lot of what is being looked at is, you know, first, how can you just document and cut fat? Now, if you're talking about consensus voting inside of Congress to eliminate those types of pork products from being stuck in, we'll eventually get there. Um, but I think the blockchain solution is kind of the path to get there. And then if we're talking about increased transparency and more legitimacy for citizenry, which I think is ideally what we want in this country. Yes, um, please. I think really what it comes down to is blockchain-based solutions that actually inform citizens. Because I'll tell you right, right now, um, you know, I think we're we're in the death throes of whatever this generation of journalism is. And if you look historically at this, you know, you had tons of small papers, you had consolidations, you had multiple cycles where journalists were viewed as the enemy. Um, and we're moving, I think, through that, but now we're moving back into citizen journalism again. So these things ebb and flow in cycles, right? You know, everything is consolidated on the one side and in this weird conglomerate called Tronk. Oh my God, don't even get me started. So I used to work for LA Times and trying to like revive that. We were on the digital side before it like, we were like, let's save the newspaper. And then Trunk took it over. And that is a whole nother level of serialized messages that mm -hmm. go out across many, many, many channels. And the power of that terrifies me. Well, I mean, think about it this way. You know, Tronk took serious journalists and started having them write listicles. Um, right. And, you know, the, the actual journalism that should be out there isn't really there today. And I would say even down through the New York Times, most of the stuff that's out there is opinion pieces. It's not actual journalism. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you're into, you're into a level where bloggers and YouTubers have just as much influence in some industries as people who've been in those industries for 20, 30, 40 years, because they may understand the bleeding edge technology and where that industry could go more so than the people who've been there for 40 years and are in the, I, this is the way it's done because it's how it's always been done. Yeah. I mean, I just published the piece, you know, as a research piece in the U S army cyber defense review on what the, the threats to America are in the 2020s. And, um, and you can just Google cyber. What were the highlights? Oz, what, I mean, just, just really, I mean, we'll go research it, but what's your punch list there? Top five. Well, you know, the, the punch list is one, the Russian propaganda machine, which I have, you know, there's several pages explaining how that works and, and how you can disrupt it. Uh, the second is ongoing decentralized terror and, um, online recruitment. This has been a problem that I've talked about for years. Um, Nefarious blockchain-based systems. Um, so, human trafficking is a, a big thing I talk about, and you know one of, one of one of the the biggest problems. You know, people think about using things like Intimate IO. I don't know if you guys know Lee as a, a tool against human trafficking, but I would say the opposite is this: ISIS or you know other terrorist organizations 
could effectively um, create their own blockchain-based solution on Ethereum to log and track the sale of human slaves or to log and track the sale of organs um, so that they can give organ provenance to to someone because if that person is reharvested, if they die in a car crash. So, I mean, there's there's really nefarious and horrible use cases for this kind of stuff. And, and well, unfortunately, that's where a lot of the effort is going. Is and I, I hate this about the crypto industry because I see crypto and blockchain as the absolute path to a more equitable future. But you're right; it's the people who are like, "Wait a minute, I can keep my privacy." Oh my god! And they're exploiting all of these things. You could also build, you know, systems that save lives and that get, you know, like there's so many good things you could do. But the pe- I get really excited about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that have time for it. <laughs> no, I mean I'm I'm, I'm presenting at, at the Tulip Conference about that on on June fourth. Um, you know, because we've we've developed some tech which I would love to see, you know, brought to fruition. But the idea is, again, if you can crowdsource all the information that you're looking to, if you can crowdfund, you know, Oculus, there's the opportunity to to take these societal problems and crowdsource the information that you need around everything from an Amber Alert to a kidnapped child to someone that's being trafficked um, to people who see things and then, you know, work to really disrupt these human trafficking networks. And as I, I like to tell people, you'll never eradicate it. But if you can make it too expensive to do, they'll go on to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, Oz, let me interrupt really quick because I know Jeremy actually has a really amazing process. It's how we got into it of, like, if you could collect enough data, you could predict and get resources faster to, like, national emergencies. So, um, Jeremy, I know you have a lot more thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much you can do. I mean, look, the conversations that we're having right now is why we're so excited about this technology and why we think it's so disruptive is because it has the true ability to make people's lives better, to save people potentially money, to save people, like you were saying, from drug trafficking or human traffic. I mean, there's so many different applications and, and really the sky's the limit. We're obviously at the very, very beginning of this industry as a whole, and we're just excited to be a part of it. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you specifically, because we talked a lot about like government regulations, et cetera, today, which is, you know, how do you foresee like people like the Dubai government as an example? They're leading the charge in terms of saying like, I believe it's 2022, they actually want to move their entire government infrastructure onto the blockchain. As it relates to where we live right now, obviously in the United States, like how do you see that process unfolding? Do you think the the government is going to eventually adopt this technology and integrate it into our systems like Christina was talking about earlier because we've already seen that even our like local SEC and our national SEC is you know clamping down obviously on ICOs which is fine they're trying to protect investors and that's their job but we've also seen a tremendous amount of talent leave the United States and go elsewhere with more favorable regulation to create these projects and bring things to fruition and it's almost the detriment of the United States because we're losing talent so how do you see all of that playing out? Well, interestingly enough, I met with uh, the DIFC and the regulators in Abu Dhabi when I was there last year, um, and you know they're interested in moving down this path. Now, putting the government on blockchain can mean a variety of things, right? Um, Prasaga, another company I advise, is working with the Chinese government on putting you know IoT on Belt and Road and allowing for 
the mesh network sale of data in between IoT sensors. Why is that important? Well, you could have Siemens, Honeywell, some startup, Tencent, um, as well as, you know, uh, I don't know, Huawei Marine and uh, a couple other companies inside of an ecosystem of millions of tr or trillions of devices uh, spread across thousands of miles. Now, all of that data is being collected, but you may have different companies wanting to broker access that information. And so, you know, that's, that's I think, the bigger utility play here is how exactly do you bring the blockchain in and in a manner and fashion that it's going to work for that. Um, Dubai is, you know, by far one of the biggest surveillance states in the world, and that's why it's also one of the safest places in the world to, you know, live and play. Um, what I think that they're going to have to start looking at is, you know, are they bringing this in to do things like tokenization of real estate, which allows for new investments to come in in, in new and interesting ways, and smaller and emerging market players to come in because typically like let's say that you wanted to invest in a, I don't know in a large building or a mall being made by Imar who's the largest construction company over there um, you know you couldn't do that but now through blockchain based investments and and tokenized investments what you can now do is spend as little as a thousand dollars and um, and put that uh, you know, put that into a investment that that's working for you. And if, you know, let's say 10 of you or a hundred of you get together and invest and buy, you know, call it an apartment and that apartments rented out, you know, you're all seeing yields on a monthly basis or whatever the accrual period is. Um, as far as the other stuff, you know, think about this from a smart city perspective, because you've got all of these underlying technology systems that power assist a city and I will tell you that there's only a handful of players in the market right now, Computer Associates, IBM, um, and then in Europe, um, you've got Siemens and um, yeah, you know, a handful of, of players that people have probably never heard of here. Um, but the, the, the challenge that, that really exists there is what are the blockchain-based systems going to be, what kind of transactional throughput are they going to require, and, you know, are people going to wait? Because I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of the technology that, that exists now, I mean, Stellar, which is a great token, which IBM has selected to utilize on their, um, uh, their I believe it's Hyperledger Fabric um, inter-country exchange. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to break, break up um, cross-border payments. Real, real simple, you know, I sell you um, a quart of milk for a euro, um, I pay 20 cents in, uh, or 20 euro cents in fees, Christina buys that milk and processes it and sells it for two euros, um, but her cross-border payment fee is again 20%. So she's losing, you know, a fair amount inside of that. And and then Jeremy sells the milk um, and then has to, to run payment back to the distributor in Denmark, and he's losing money again. And so if you look at these ecosystems globally, you know, the banks are making billions of dollars in cross-border payments, and they don't want that market, and they don't want these businesses to go away. Um, but I'm telling you that the, the blockchain opportunity is, is massive in terms of just disrupting that and just putting new, like just new paradigms in place. That's awesome. 
I love it. I love it. These are the conversations that we have, you know, on a personal level anyway. And it, it's just one of those things to where letting people understand like the massive implications it has on so many different industries is, is really why we created this podcast, Blockchain Versus. It's blockchain versus everything. What can it disrupt? How is it truly going to transform the world and the way we do business every single day? And getting everybody to really understand that because there's a, a core group of individuals, obviously, that are here. We're very early uh, and we get it. Uh, but it also took us a little while to understand the true implications of this technology. So I think we're there. And I think this is incredible that we can spread the word and share this message with others. So, you know, we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to get into something a little bit more fun, a little more exciting. So, Christine, I'm going to hand it over to you. And we're going to do a lightning round with Mr. Oz Sultan. Beautiful. Well, Thanks, I just man. have to say, so... Oz, thank you for being our first guest on here. You're one of my favorite humans and we chat all the time. And uh, You're one of my faves too. Aww. Um, there's a, and, and I got to throw Cindy Mallory in there too, because there is definitely like a string cheese baby bell. Like, like we're, we're <laughs> there's so many like odd things that we all have in like common. Um, so that being said, I do have to warn you a little bit ahead of time. I took some of our personal information and threw them into our lightning round questions because we're going to have seven questions every interview that we do with uh, a full a full pan you know full uh, 45 minutes uh with our guest we're going to do seven questions so i'm going to start really basic and then get really specific you good with that okay yeah totally i know you're like challenge accepted all right what's your favorite color blue what's your favorite aromatherapy scent Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, it's a cross in between either lavender or ylang ylang. Say that again. Lavender or ylang ylang. I just needed to hear you say it a second time. <laughs> you just wanted me to say ylang ylang. If, if you didn't, I would have. <laughs> All right. Who is more likely to be Satoshi, Elon Musk or Craig Wright? No comment. <laughs> Fair enough. Will the SEC approve an ETF this year? Yes, uh, but it's most likely going to be between Q3 and Q4. So everyone's going to be sitting there um, postulating about it on the internets for the next three to six months. Many comments, but it's not part of the lightning round. Will the SEC approve an STO this year? There's like a thousand of them in the waiting list. I think the SEC is going to be prosecuting first, and uh, it, I can't comment on that, but uh, I've heard a lot of rumors about what's going on. Um, and then I think you're going to see an STO approval probably by Q4 or Q1 of next year. I appreciate that. All right, a uh, little funner. Would you be willing to create finger painting art but with your beard? Well, as long as it was water-based, Sure. Because otherwise, I'd look I'd look like some you know Burning Man afterthought. <laughs> I just can't. I love that mental picture so much of you like creating finger painting art with your beard. <laughs> All right, final question: What song are you going to sing for karaoke when you come to my Cryptoki event? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's either going to be uh, Dick Van Dyke's "Chim Chimney." Or uh, Judas Priest's Breaking the Law. <laughs> Please do both of those. Like back to back, because people be like, what the hell? <laughs> what is this guy doing? 
<laughs> although, although I will tell, I will tell you this. This is so I'm I'm a huge fan of K-pop, and um, I have a Blackpink CD in my car. Oh my god, uh, Blackpink is my niece's like second favorite after BTS. Like I have more education in K-pop than I should. <laughs> well, BTS is like super duper. I mean, they were like on a. They were on Saturday Night Live. Can you um, talk about the athleticism of those kids? Holy crap! <laughs> Have you seen their all of their um, all of their practice videos are on Reddit? I did not know that, but I'll let my niece know, and then she'll give me the uh, the summary version. <laughs> No, I mean, like I have, I have, I have cousins, like little cousins, and they're just like super, super into it. But the the choreography is cool. But yeah, so so, anyways, I I was trying to learn a Blackpink song and a BTS song just because that would be completely random. Please uh, let me know if that happens. As a matter of fact, if you could plan that for WCC, we'll give you that as like your big unveiling on the big ass stage. Oh, by the, yeah, never mind. Mm, top secret. That's hysterical. <laughs> Yeah, don't give it all away, Christina. That never happened. So I know we're running out of time here. Oz, this has been such an incredible interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we leave, though, I've wanted to uh, leave uh, all the listeners with something great, which is, you know, give us Oz Sultan's crystal ball for the future of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Um, Midterm, which I, I suppose, because you're really only talking about two years with this stuff, but as long term, because no one can crystal ball beyond that. Bitcoin's going to go back to twenty grand, most likely by the end of the year, and it'll start climbing. Um, I believe uh, McAfee may be required to um, execute his bet <laughs> um, with or without relish. <laughs> Uh, probably with relish and uh, uh, and and uh, sauerkraut. Throw some sauerkraut on there. He's definitely you know, and, and just like like a, like a strong German mustard. I think that's what he's <laughs> right. A grainy, very uh, very okay. not yellow mustard. It needs to be deli style. Artisanal, hand ground, <laughs> single stone sourced. <laughs> know your transaction, man. Go all the way back to. The- <laughs> Um, and then, and then beyond that, we're, um, we're going to have a move into ETFs. That's not going to come from the United States first, but, uh, will then be followed strong, strongly by, um, you know, approvals coming from Washington. And what we're all, I think the last thing is that you're going to continue to see a regulatory quagmire for a few years. Um, as well as uh, the weirdness. The weirdness is that they just reconstituted the Medici Bank. The Medici Bank hasn't existed for 500 years. I love that you just said that. I Oh, my God. That's okay. Thank you for nerds in the world. I really, really love that you just said that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's if the Medici Bank is in, that means that, you know, the major European players are moving towards crypto and they're realizing these these changes. And then. The last thing I'll say is that we're going to have new havens. So places like Dominica, places that you haven't heard of that have secrecy laws, they're potentially going to become the new Switzerland's. Interesting. Man, this is cool. It's 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 going to be a fun ride, right? We're going to sit here, we're going to watch it and see it unfold and who knows what's going to happen, but I think a lot of what you said is really on point. So, you know, I guess we can just wait and see. You know, this is uh, you know, in terms of our podcast, the whole idea that Christina and I had, like I said, is blockchain versus 
uh, how it's going to mm-hmm. disrupt the world. But at the same time, we wanted to you know make it light, airy, and fun, and have fun guests on, especially people that we know personally, and just like have a, a regular dialogue that we would have on the phone anywhere and share it with everybody else. And with that said, we realized that we can also make our own rules. So every other podcast out there, we wanted to be different than. We want to have new content and not have such boilerplate content like you hear everything else, right? Um, so with that said, instead of saying like, where do you see Bitcoin, which you already said by the end of the year, maybe 20,000. Where do you see Tron by the end of the year? Um, well, I would assume we're not talking about the Dave Chappelle character, correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, you know, Tron, I think, is going to make a, a reasonable comeback. Um, the, the thing is that you got to consider weird stuff like, you know, the, why was Ethereum forked? Well, because there was a stored procedure problem and they just made it classic. So, you know, Tron and Dash, I think, are continuing strong contenders for growth. Um, but a lot of this is going to go after the, the factors that no one looks at. One, what is developer utilization and acceptance? Well, it's still sort of moderate. What are the dApps that have been dropped in the ecosystems? Uh, that's also kind of moderate. Um, and what is the utilization in um, emerging markets or other arenas where it's becoming a replacement for cash? That's actually moving. So Tron could continue to perform well, but you know Dash, which I think is still in that same breadbasket, um, is still kind of stunted inside of this um, inside of this you know bear to bull market. Um, I think only a couple of the coins are bullish right now. So the the end all is I, I think you'll probably see a twenty to twenty five percent delta gain. Um, but if that is not followed by adoption, um, it may just be a blip on the radar. Nice, nice. All right, well, we're going to end this. This has been incredible. I'm going to give you guys one opportunity to go head-to-head. I'm going to let you guys battle over the outro. We don't have an outro yet because it's a brand-new podcast. Christina, give us your best outro, and yes, you can sing. Oh, oh I was counting on it. Uh I don't have a good crypto song, so like I, all I can do is like uh, just one of those. God, let Oz go first. I got to think of a song here, dude. Oh, go okay. on. Um, how would how would you do the outro of Blockchain Versus? I mean, we might keep it. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Versus podcast, sponsored by your friends at Coin Genius. Uh, I hate you. That was really that was good. My NPR one. <laughs> Legit, like nine hundred voice, like really good. Like. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, mine would be like. Uh, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to NPR. We'll be talking about <laughs> flavored air today. No, no, what's that? What's that song? Um, that oh, okay, okay. It, mine would be like closing time. Thank you for listening to Blockchain Versus. I like that. That's that's pretty dope. Hey, you can't really argue with that. Thank you, Oz, so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you, sir. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Blockchain Intelligence, LLC. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. The thoughts and opinions of Blockchain Versus and their guests are their own and should not be construed as professional advice of any kind. Before making any investment decisions, you should always do your own research and seek help from a professional. If you would like to get in touch with the Blockchain Versus podcast, please go to www.blockchainversus.com or email us at info at blockchainversus.com.